Hi Soma, it's great to be with you today and we're continuing on our series on the gospel. What is the gospel and then what are the implications of the gospel? And today's topic is the gospel for society. I want to start off with a little quiz. Uh, just something quietly uh, in your own minds, have a little think. It's not for a discussion, we'll move more quickly than that we'll be uh, able to do. So let me ask you some questions. And the question is, which of these are a sin and why? And again, just a quick little kind of thing in your own head as to what you think. So the first one is, is this a sin and why? Enjoying a few beers with your friends. Second one, insuring your home. Is that a sin? Why? Why not? What about going into debt to have a holiday? Refusing a transfusion for your child. How would you think about that? What about paying taxes? Is that a sin or not? Why? What about leaving all your wealth to your kids in your will when you die? Or educating your child in a state school? Is that a sin or not? Why? And last one, what about joining the Australian Greens Party? Well, it's a bit of a jumble of all different ideas there, isn't it? And uh, it might all just be really obvious to you, yes, no, no, yes, whatever it is, as to what's good and what's bad in that list. And I don't want to focus on the particular issues, but I think what I was just trying to do is to, to say that each of those things, as you think about them, there's two things going on. One is you're thinking about what the gospel is, what it is to be a Christian person, how it is you're going to live your life in the world. And the other is it says a bit about how you view society. And it wouldn't be true to say all of these things, but at different times and in different cultures, a number of those things have been considered sins. Some might be obvious to you that they are still. But that's the thing that we want to start thinking about. What has the gospel got to do with society? And, and more than just the gospel and society, I want to think about what is the gospel, how is the gospel good for society? How is it good news for society? How are we going to live in the light of the gospel in a broader world than just our own private life? That's what I want to think about. What is the gospel for society? So the first thing, what is the gospel? We've been looking at this over the last few weeks. Uh, the gospel is about Jesus is Lord and he calls us to be his, his people, his followers. He, he dies and he saves us. That's all part of the gospel. It's the, the king of the kingdom has come and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the gospel is about. Just recently, I've been uh, working on a book, editing a book, not writing it. Uh, this is a collation of a number of other authors and myself and a couple of other guys are editing. And we came across this wonderful little quote that's actually going to go on the very front page of the book. You know, a frontispiece it's called. You know, when you open up, there's just a little quote. And this is a quote from a guy called Abraham Kuyper. He was a Dutch theologian and actually a politician. Interestingly, he was the prime minister of the country in the first decade of the uh, 20th century, so 1901 to 5 or 8 or something. And uh, Kuiper said this, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, 
who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's not a square inch that Christ doesn't say, this is mine. Anyway, we're putting it at the front of the book. The book is on the, the sacred and secular and how those things should mix together in the Christian person's life and, and particularly in theological education, how you train up pastors, etc. But it's just it's a wonderful way to think of it, that Christ is Lord means he is Lord of everything, every square inch, every, every square millimetre, we might say. The whole thing is his. And so quite rightly, we ought to be able to think, what does it mean for Christ to be Lord in regard to our society? Not just in the abstract, I'll talk a bit about some abstract concepts and Bible ideas, but then what does it mean for us practically? And that's what I want to try and think about today. So the gospel is that Jesus is Lord. How is that good news? How is it gospel for us? Well, again, we've been talking about this. Uh, the Christian person is used to the answer for this one, I think, because that's part of our very experience to be Christian is to know the answer. The first thing is, objectively, it is an amazing reality that Christ has come, the King has come, he's shown himself, God has revealed Christ to us, and he's come and he's died, the great Messiah is the suffering servant. That's such a wonderful story that we can, we can understand, we can buy into, we can, we can commit to, and that's objectively the case. There's a subjective part to it as well. Uh, we could, each of us, I think, if we're Christian, if we know Christ, we could give a testimony at least of something as to what difference that made in our own life. Uh, when I think back to my teen years, I became a Christian when I was 12. I'm so glad it was, would have been better earlier, but it was <laughs> great that it was then. And I think back to my teen years of, of hours and hours in prayer, just grateful to God as God the Father, a good Father who loved me, who valued me, and that right through my teen years was often in, in prayer. I'd be led to, to uh, cry just in gratitude. And that it felt so good to have that kind of father in heaven who knew and loved me. And so there's that direct relationship with God that is a subjective reality that is good news for us. It makes a difference to who we are and how we live. There's also, I think, an enormous benefit in being with the people of God and the blessing that God's people are. It is good news that we come into a community and that community brings us in. Again, my own experience in my teen years was just how wonderful the Christian people were at church. Uh, I've said before, I, I came from a family that was incredibly critical, incredibly negative. Uh, everyone just put everybody down. That was just how it was. But I came into a church fellowship, a Christian people a lot older than me, and that they were generous and they were kind and they were encouraging and they were positive. And they cared about you genuinely. They wanted the best for you. And they'd say it. Well, what a wonderful blessing that was for me. And so subjectively, whether we think about our relationship directly with God or with God's people, the gospel is really good news. Well, let's think then too uh, about what it is to be good news for our society. Uh, we can each give our own testimony to the good news for us. But what does it mean as we think about society? And I want to uh, do a little bit of thinking through here. We need to know how it is God wants us to relate to society, to, to be bearers of that good news, to be people who live it out in the society. And I want to draw on a particular Bible perspective. There's, there's lots more we could say. Another time I'd love to talk about uh, the way Christ and culture functions. That's a more theological topic. But I thought, given what we're doing here in the year of biblical literacy, I just sort of anchor it in some of the key Bible ideas 
And I want to draw on our knowledge from our earlier uh, time this year, looking at the Old Testament and pick up some of those major Old Testament ideas <clears throat> so that we can, we can think about what is the Bible giving us to help us understand what the gospel in society, the gospel for society is about. So the thing I want to focus on is um, the idea of the land. And uh, I want to draw on some of the things that we've read through the Old Testament we've been thinking about. First of all, a question to ask is when you look at the Old Testament and then into the New, this theme of the people of God in God's place, in the land, in the promised land. And sometimes they're out of the land and sometimes they're in the land. And what is it like? And sometimes in the land as positive and sometimes it's negative and sometimes out of the land. They might be in exile in Egypt or they're in Babylon. It's sometimes positive, sometimes negative. So let me just flesh some of that out and then think about what it means for the New Testament and for our own existence as Christian people now living in the kind of New Testament and beyond days. So first of all, the Old Testament days in the land, and there are many, many times and references and passages. And basically what it talks about is that when you're in the land, there is a positive way of being for the people of God. That there are blessings. When they obey, there are incredible promises. Uh, you might remember reading some of this, especially in Deuteronomy, where Moses says to the people, if you go into the land and you obey the promises of God, all these blessings will come. Everything will be good for you and your family, for the society, uh, for the whole world, ultimately. The society and everything will be good when you're obedient to God. And so there we have in the land and a very positive understanding of the experience of God's people. But as you look at other parts of the Old Testament, you also see that you can be in the land and things are negative. And you might recall the deterioration after King Solomon, the kingdom split in two, two kings, two different dynasties. And it just gets more and more negative. In the north, all the kings were bad. They were the rebel kings. All of them were bad. Everything was bad. Occasionally a little bit not so bad, but still bad. And in the south, half and half, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And eventually in the north, the Assyrians come, they wipe out the place. And then in the south, another 100, 130 years later, 150 years later, uh, the south is taken off in exile as well. And the leader's taken away. And so you have there a very negative read. You're in the kingdom, you're in the land, you're in the promised land, but there's a negative view on what's happening and the people end up exiled. But then also you have people out of the land and it can be positive. So in the earlier part, you've got to Joseph in Egypt and things are great for Joseph and he, he provides a rescue and, and resource for his own family there. And similarly, at the later end of the story, that was at the start, but at the end of the story, when they're, they're exiled into Babylon, uh, you have things there that are good. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, you might remember, chapter 29, he writes to the exiles. He's back himself in the land, but he writes to the exiles and says, look, God can be on your side there. Uh, plant vineyards, build your houses, marry, build businesses, you know, do all those things and, and it'll be good for you in your development in what you're doing as you contribute to society that will contribute back to you and your welfare and the welfare of the city will be linked together well there you are out of the land but positive but there's also lots of passages that talk about where you're out of the land and it's negative this is where the godless kings set up their statues you remember the story in the early part of Daniel 
where Daniel's friends won't bow down to the statue, thrown into the fiery furnace. Uh, it's, it's just a classic picture of the, the pomp, the self-presence, the self-acclamation of a king that says, worship me. And of course, when you're out of the land, that turns negative because God's people won't put up with that. God's people will stand firm. And that's what you see in Daniel and other places. And so we have, you can be in the land and things are positive, in the land and things are negative. You can be out of the land and things are positive or out of the land and things are negative. Now, that's really important for us to get a grasp of understanding that. Because then when we come into the New Testament, this issue is picked up again. And the idea of land is kind of shifted. It's no longer that, that geographical space that's so important. And the language you know, Jesus uses, it shifts from kind of the land to the kingdom. And the kingdom is all about the king and his rule over people wherever they are. And so you kind of move away from this. But the people are physically in the land, but Jesus comes to declare his kingdom and allegiance to him as the true person. And so that language of in the land is sort of projected forward. It's, it's on to being with Christ, but it's on to the future thing that Christ brings. And that's when he returns again and he establishes his kingdom ruling over all the world in a way far beyond what he does now. And so that sort of image of the land, when are we in the land? Well, it's when the kingdom is established ultimately under Christ's rule when he returns. And I would suggest to you that um, there, then when it's picked up outside the Gospels, but in Paul's writing and, and the other apostles, when they write the rest of the New Testament, the different letters, they have this idea too. Sometimes it's positive. Like you take a passage, uh, Romans 13, very well-known passage, that talks about being obedient to the rulers of the time. And if you're obedient and do the right thing and pay your taxes and show respect when you should, then you know, things will work out okay for you. Well, that's a very positive reading. And there's also a negative reading, uh, both in terms of the society, you know, Romans 12, so I just quoted Romans 13, Romans 12, you know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the Spirit's work in you. But there are also far darker times in the New Testament with regard to being out of the land and negative. Uh, the classic, of course, is the book of Revelation where you see that the, the Roman Empire is, is considered to be like a Babylon all over again, pretentious and pompous and self-declaring uh, that it is God and you ought to worship the emperor, all that sort of stuff. And so, so negative and so negative then for the, the believers. But of course, the end picture is of where the new land, the new city comes from heaven and Christ is ruling there and all things are set right. Now, these are really important ideas for us to get a hold of. There are lots of other ways we could come at a similar topic, but just let me give you one key piece of interpretation. So we're trying to build up our biblical literacy this year. So with that idea of what's in the Old Testament and what's now in the New Testament, what life is like to be understood, one of the key things we've got to be careful of is that we don't misunderstand where we are, where we are and how things are going. So... A lot of people you see, particularly true in some Pentecostal churches and prosperity teaching, is that they will take passages that are from the Old Testament in the land and positive. So if you do this, God will bless you. 
And they take that and they apply that to Christians who are out of the land and there are a lot of negative parts of that. And so they make this kind of mismatch as though we're still back in the land, as though it's back in those times. And the promises that belong now to what we would say is the future time are applied to us right here and right now. That there'll be a direct correlation. If you do this, then you'll get blessing. And that's so easily then twisted. It, it, it's taken aside as though, you know, God is just the one who fulfills all the things you could possibly want and just encourages your greed. And so the key thing here for interpreting is to understand what, what time frame, but also what place. Time and place becomes really important to interpret the Bible correctly. What is actually going on in this passage? Uh, and we need to have real caution about what we apply directly to ourselves right now. We can't read those Old Testament in the land passages as though it applies entirely to us right now. And so be careful of that. Interpret the scriptures well with that insight. But not just for Bible interpretation, though that's really important, but we also have a key challenge that comes out of this passage. See, if we are Christians who are out of the land, that says something about our identity. It says something too about we want to bring blessing, but we're in a context where it's not ours. It's not our land. It's not, Christ is not obviously Lord. Like in the Old Testament days when the King, the Messiah, was on the throne and he was obviously the Lord of that place. We are out of the Lord and sometimes our experience is positive and sometimes it's negative. And we ought to be kind of attuned to that. We need to be thinking through what's going on here in our society. For here, for us right now, or for indeed our Christian brothers and sisters around the world. Because things are very different in different places. And we need to come at the scriptures and come at the task of working out what it is to be Christian with all those things in mind. A little like Jeremiah, where, uh, in 20, chapter 29, we're, we're to be the people of God doing life in the society. Uh, we're to be gracious to others, we're to serve others, we're, we're to build our houses and plant our fields and get on with life. And there'll be good things in that for us. But other times we'll look at the society and go, no, there's bits there that are not good, that we can't engage with. And indeed, for other places, at other times, it's often all negative and great difficulty. But let's just think, okay, for us here right now, what does it look like for the gospel to be in us and coming into our society and making a good thing, good news for society? Well, first of all, I say that we ought to be bearers of that news. Uh, people who live it out, the reality of the gospel in our own life. So, for example, at work, we ought to be people who lower the rudeness scale. It's just one little thing. You know, the rudeness scale. You've got 10 people in a room and they're all working in a workplace. And you say, well, this person, out of a score out of 10, well, they're a four on rudeness. This one's a two, this one's an eight. Oh, they're shockers. Well, when the Christian comes along into that, they ought to lower the average score. They oughtn't be rude. They ought to be positive and encouraging people. Or the sleaze score. That's a shocker, isn't it? Don't know if you've worked in a place where there's a sleaze score. You can actually look and go, this is a bad place to be. And you know, if you come into a workplace, you can often tell that. There's a rudeness score or a sleaze score. But the Christian person is the one that's going to lower those negative things. They will make a better society just by being themselves. They don't have to be out preaching it, although sometimes that's appropriate to come alongside and to speak to people or challenge what's wrong to be a, have a prophetic role in a poor society or micro-society. 
but just by being there to create a new environment, a different thing. It's a wonderful gift to any society or little portion of society. Leaders. Some of us have our own businesses or we, uh, we head up departments or little work groups. As a leader, you can make an enormous difference in society by being a Christian person there. Leading in, in a way which is uh, fair to all the people around. Uh, that's proactively trying to do a good job of leading. That's encouraging to people. Uh, that puts up with people's failures and you know, allows them the fact that they're not perfect all the time. That's not just grumpy all the time. I always find it interesting to hear people's stories of what it's like at work and what a good boss and a bad boss is. Very easy to tell a culture that can be created by a good boss. And that's what we're called to be if we're in that role. Someone who is bringing blessing to the society. And similarly too, uh, as Christian people in society, we ought to be, uh, be people involved in politics. Not all of us. And I don't mean just like at the national level, although that's true for some. But just the local, local level, you know, the little sports club or the group of friends that get together. What's the politics of that organisation, of that group that comes together? Very easy for us to, to be people who can contribute in a way which is honest. We're honest brokers. We actually want the best for the organisation and for the people there, not just for ourselves. You know, that's the kind of role that we can take. And that is transformative and that is a wonderful gift to society. And that is the way the gospel comes in, to make things better. Better for the whole society. The whole society or the little bit of society. Uh, we can be honest brokers at our local or our state or national, whatever levels and, and whatever little, uh, little subgroups. And it can make an enormous difference if we're involved in the politics in an honest and fair and good, good kind of way. Well, you see, this is good news for society. To have that kind of life coming through is such a positive thing. And more too, because we're not just talking about this stuff. We're not just being it, but we can actually draw people in to this good stuff, this stuff of Christ. We can let them know who Christ is and his lordship. We can help them understand what it is to have him as Lord and, and the blessing that comes to you. Those, those good things I was talking about, objectively and subjectively, we can, we can tell people and draw them in to encourage them to know Christ, to submit to him as Lord, and then themselves to become blessings into the society. We can draw people in to that transforming power of the Holy Spirit that's made a difference to us. It's a great blessing to give to others. Well, let me just give a little bit of historical perspective on some of this, just as a way of finishing up. You see, we're very used to thinking about the church and Christianity as kind of from above, you know, the institution, the thing that's been spanning centuries now, you know, since the fourth century, really, that Christendom kind of model, the idea that there is this big thing going on. What's happening now, of course, is a, a real challenge of secularization, that, that people are excluding God from the story, keeping him out altogether from understanding anything themselves or society. And that is a major change. It's been happening over a few hundred years, but it is a major change in the last 50 years, and particularly the last 10 uh, here in Australia. Well, let's try to recapture a different view of the faith. I think this from is below. Not the big institutional thing, 
but who it is we are as God's people in each relationship. I, I've just been reading through in our uh, GC, we've been reading through Matthew's Gospel and it just struck me in Matthew 13, one of the parables there, several that Jesus tells. But there's this one, just very quickly, it's a woman who gets yeast and puts it in flour, big batch of flour, about 25 kilos of flour, big, big batch. So she's, I'm guessing she's cooking more than just the family. Maybe it's for, you know, she sells the bread or something. But she puts it in and it just slowly, slowly works its way through the whole of all that flour and causes it to rise. That from below vision is, I think, something that we need to capture. And just have that sense that we can make an enormous difference just getting on, not hiding away, but working our way through the whole batch. That's a key thing. And we'll do it in different ways. And some of it will be quite public for some people. You know, we will become the president of that club or we will uh, join the political scene, whatever it might be. But as we think about the, the faith, much more about the dynamism of each person and of this church and that GC working its way through the society, that's a really powerful image. One of those stories Jesus told. And so the challenge for us is, how is it we can be the yeast in that flower? And uh, this is why it's so important that as GCs and as Christian friends together, we work this out. Because what we want to do is bring that goodness, I mean, first and foremost, just to our own families, to our own neighbourhoods, to our own and Blue Mountains environment, Penrith, wherever we happen to be, to be able to be good news for that place. And then, of course, as we think more widely about Australia and the world, it's a challenge to be a Christian in the 21st century, and I hope you enjoy the thought of it. I hope you enjoy the thinking through, well, how do we do this cleverly? How do we represent Christ in these changing times? See, every generation has got to think that stuff through. Uh, the questions that, that you have you know, 30, 50 years ago are different questions from now. And the faith that was needed back then is different from now. Every new generation has to come to this situation analyze it, work it out, do it together in fellowship, see, not alone, and work through how do we live Christianly? Because Christ is Lord of all. How do we help our society get the benefit and blessing? And how do we call our society to submit to him as Lord? Individual people, families, whole communities, how do we work that in? And we'll all have our different parts to play, our different personalities, our different time availabilities, our different uh, strengths and capacities. There'll, there'll be different callings on our individual lives to do that, to be the different people. So we'll all have that. We'll have to work that out together as well. But the challenge here is to be those people who demonstrate that the gospel, it is indeed good news for society here in the Blue Mountains, Australia and the world. Blessings and curses, collections and disbursements Look to Him Though your heart and your soul and everything in your control Reach yourself of sin Don't let yourself fall away when you're in some foreign land Remember like sand in the promised land 
tired of the misfits The worst days and the best bits Has made it plain Paying hard to what God says And do what the Lord says Walk in His way But if you start to get drawn astray That's the road to an early grave you can live and love the Lord and He would give, He would give you the promised land. And all your blessings and curses, corrections and disbursements, look to Him. Your heart and your soul and everything in your control Rid yourself of sin Don't let yourself fall away When you're in some foreign land And your children will never lack sand And your children will never 